Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Precious Lord, we thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for um, just the ingenuity and the gift of Catholic Radio and Catholic Media and all those who have paved the way for such powerful modes of evangelization. We ask you to bless our time together. We ask you to bless all of our listeners that um, if we speak your truth and speak anything from your heart, Lord, that their minds, hearts are open to hearing it and living the faith. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Wow, I'm excited today. We have a great guest on the show. He is a Catholic psychotherapist at Pax Renewal and an award-winning author, and a spe- and he's on the speaking uh, circuit as well, Mr. Roy Pettifees. Welcome to the show, Roy. Hey, thanks. I'm, I'm just grateful to be here. All right, just my connection to Roy. He taught uh, freshman religion to my daughter Ashley at St. Thomas More, and I really, and I'm sincere, he farmed my, my daughter's faith, and uh, she led the way in my in my family, and I appreciate that. You, you, you mean a whole lot to our family. But tell us a little bit about yourself, Roy. Yeah, and um, we're connected through the Davises as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I, I, you know, I'm a counselor today. Um uh, you know, I'll give a little more of my history, but you know, I came. I was a seminarian for five years. A lot of folks don't. It's been so long. I left seminary in two thousand, so um, I was a seminarian for five years. Successfully discerned um, out, and uh, you know, married my wife not long after that, and um, spent twelve years in Catholic education while getting my master's in counseling, and um, the. Um, <laughs> the um, and so and then began writing books and things along those lines and and speaking and but I only work with teenagers today as a Catholic psychotherapist and my speaking is revolved around that as well so I talk to teens motivational speaking to teens and as well um, mainly to adults about teenagers so at least a hundred times in my life i have told people that have come to me for advice uh hey the only thing harder than being a teenager is uh than than raising a teenager is being a teenager and i know that came from you and uh it stuck with me forever i can't even say it right but uh yeah, I mean, you've done so it's much so for tough. our community. Yeah, well, thank you, man. Thank so, you. So, from Generet? Yeah, I'm from Generet. Um, and I, I also want to just say this community has done so much for me. Um, and I'm especially grateful for the community at Paxtonol Center, the community at St. Cecilia School in Broussard, and St. Thomas More that um, have been so good to me. Um, and ULL, you know, where yeah. I got. Um, Anyway, just been so grateful. I'm from Generet, grew up single parent. My mom um, worked a lot of jobs to put me through a Catholic school. Her Catholic faith was so important to her, and she worked four jobs, um, but she was gone a lot, and I um, was getting a great education, but turned to food to kind of medicate some of my own emotional issues, a lot of loneliness as a kid, and you know, was morbidly obese growing up through high school, experienced a lot of bullying, had um, just just really, really struggled. And, you know, psychotherapy just wasn't that available. And if it had been available, we certainly couldn't have afforded it. Um, 
and but I could have benefited from that as a as a as a teenager. Went to UL USL, flunked out, and then got a job working at the Port of Iberia as an iron worker helper, um, which was special. And I learned very quickly that I did not want to uh, work in the elements, um, <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, so I went back to college and. That was that was the pivotal turning point of my life when I went back to USL in 1993 and met a priest, Father Hampton Davis, um, and my best friends, my, my wife now today. Um, that was absolutely pivotal. You know, I was lost. I had no idea who I was. Um, I had fallen away from the faith in high school. And when I met when I met Father Hampton and and the Davis, all of them, you know, and I can't help when I see you today. I just I, I miss our brother Hammy yeah. and um, just love 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 them. And they're, that's they're the Cajun version of the Von Traps, right? Man, no no question, <laughs> no question. You know, I this is going to sound cliche, and I've never even told Angie this, and I I don't know if she listens, but um. I, I will literally go through my day and I will think, what would Hammy do? Mm-hmm. Like, how would he handle the situation? And he such a, was such a model, because I had so many models in the seminary on how to be a Catholic priest. But then, and, and, and Father Hampton was like my dad and still is. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he's a celibate priest. And, and so I've benefited so much from Hammy and Taylor. All of that whole family um, mm-hmm. kind of took me under their wings. And... Um, and Hampton's this, Father Hampton's this gregarious, you know, uh, guy. Mm-hmm. A lot like a lot like me, and and he loved the priesthood, and I, and, and it, it just I was like, oh, I, I need to go to seminary, and and so I did, and but realized that that wasn't celibacy, wasn't my calling. Um, but you know, when I met them, when I got to the Catholic Student Center in two thousand in 1993, I was weighing 535 pounds. I, I just completely ballooned up. And those people who loved me and loved me in the faith, um, it, it changed something in me. And in the next two and a half years, I lost over 300 pounds. Um, I went into seminary, uh, um, and, and my life has just never been the same since. And, and, you know, a lot of folks think, you know, you're, you're a seminary dropout. Now I, I successfully discerned out of it. I never had one regret (laughs) and all of that wonderful education and formation the diocese gave me, I've just been putting to use for the last, you know, 20 years. Um, so, um, and, and today you know, when we were at, when I was at STM, I think it was, we started a new retreat there called Kairos. It was new here. We got brought it in from California. And what we noticed was that teens were having a hunger to tell their story. Like they wanted us to hear their story. And we began doing that ministry. And I kept feeling pulled to do the one-on-one work with them, but I couldn't as director of ministries at a, at a large Catholic high school. And so that's when I went back and got my master's in counseling and began, um, you know, doing that work. And, you know, in the, in the 2013, 2014, I had written a book, you know, Catholics have a high distrust of the social sciences. Like we, we tend to look very askance at psychiatry, psychology, and don't trust it. And I never have had that. Um, and, but I always wanted 
to be a guy who could bring those two worlds together. Yeah, and there's a third factor, the Cajun culture with that as uh, well, right? Good no point, doubt. man. No, no question. Yeah. No question. Because you think of like a therapist in California and that's like yeah. a whack job and that's not even close to <laughs> right. what we have in Cajun country, right? That's so right. It is for right. the world. Oh, they're going to convince me to, you know, you know, have a smudging ceremony and, <laughs> and things that we think are just, but it's just not in our culture, right? Right. And... Um, it didn't take long before I became one of the most trusted people in psychotherapy by not only the local church, but the, the Catholic Church in the United States. And um, many, many bishops have invited me in to, to do trainings for priests around um, working with young people. Um, and especially now where, where we, we see this high influx of kids who are having gender identity issues and and there seems to be so much cultural um not just cultural acceptance because i believe acceptance is a good thing but this permissiveness and almost encouragement to almost at too early of an age begin to to question certain things that 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 many that some young people do question authentically but many don't and so, you know, next week I'll be in, in New York and speaking to um, all of the bishops and priests and principals there on, on how, do we, how do we wrap our mind around people of faith? What's our pastoral response to young people who really do, who, who struggle, you know, with, the, with these things? And now, Roy, you, that don't lights have a, me up. you don't have a Cajun accent, um, but, <laughs> you know, um, but I, I just, I'm curious how others view you, that you're from heart, the heart of Cajun, you are oh, the, man. you're like the unofficial Pope of the Cajun Catholics a little <laughs> bit. And uh, so, you know, but what is, what is your take on the Cajun Catholics? And then when you go out, do people know, you know, they, do they have these preconceived oh, notions of you? Well, you know, one, we've got, in, in terms of what we bring from Cajun Catholicism, we have got five of of the most prominent Catholic speakers in North America, a few even in the world, who who live right here in South Louisiana. You know, Paul George, Katie uh, Prejean McGrady over in Lake Charles. You know, Mike Patin. We got you have me. You've got Dr. Ansel Augustine. You know, in New Orleans, and you know we got Josh Blakesley up. You know, in the Alexandria area. Um, we, you know, we when we travel and we go around Louisiana, pe- people think very highly of Louisiana Catholicism. Not not just because of us, but but they've come here and they've had conferences, and we have a very unique blend. This and 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 how we have it in Cajun country is is different than New Orleans. It's a di- <laughs> it like is. those guys leave their Bloody Mary on the stoop of the church <laughs> on Ash Wednesday. You know, it's just a um, it is yeah, but but it. It, it's it's special. I mean, it's so part of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Those people have red stuff in their gumbos, too, over there. Oh, I mean, it's God. Crazy. Don't even That's get crazy. me started on that, man. <laughs> oh, it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I really took notice of in listening and watching some of your YouTube videos in, in regards to the youth is, is, is to be able to really give attention to the, to them mm. and uh and that struck me and i so relate to that and um you know i'd like you to talk a little bit about that yeah we all we all hunger for attention and, and some of us i'll try not to get too psychology here but you know some of us get get more of that when we're kids and 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 have you know um and and some of us don't um but regardless of whether you get some of those attention needs met when you're younger or not 
when you enter into adolescence, it just it's like a jar of glitter and water that just gets shaken up. Mm-hmm. And and it 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 it's so um it's so pivotal. One of the passages in the Bible that that just there are many that that stay with me and that are like my my bread from my soul, but it's that Jesus looked at the young man, the rich young man, depends on which version, and loved him. Like he looked at him and he loved him. And and the French in our Cajun French, we have a great word for that word, look. In the French version of the Bible, it's regard, right? Regarde, which means like we would like watch him and it's a special type of look. And and they hunger for that. And when it's amazing what when kids feel like we see them, it's amazing how much they will allow us to influence them. It changes them. It changed me. You know, and I I we're such good friends, and he's like my dad, and I know he's kind of ubiquitous, you know, you know, Father Hampton. But man, I, I, the way he looked at me, now again, I grew up without a dad, single mom. I mean, just the way he looked at me, like it, that changed me. And I think sometimes people think that I'm, that I just hype that up. And a lot of folks, you know, think, oh, I don't know what they think, but I, I know that it changed me. And I know that that's what I do with young people today. And that's what I'm trying to teach adults how to do. You know, and I gave a TED Talk about it. Just, they just need us to see them. And very often we get caught up in our fears of being rejected by them. And those are real, man. Teens mm-hmm. can be mean. And they, but most often it's because they're in their head. It has nothing to do with you. I mean, you've raised th- three. Three. You know. Hit the trifecta. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the female yes. trifecta. Yeah, uh, I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Cajun Catholics, with today's guest is Mr. Roy Pettifees. He is a Catholic psychotherapist at Pax Renewal, Cajun Catholic psychotherapist. And mm-hmm. tell me the difference, and we touched on it yeah. earlier, between a regular psychotherapist yeah. and a Catholic psychotherapist, and we'll throw the Cajun in there too. That's a great question. Yeah. The um, And I do think the Cajun's important, not just it is. to be sticky about it. I do think it's important. Um you know, so a, a regular psychotherapist, will, and we are we are at least that, and we really pride ourselves at Paxton Noel Center, um, not just on, we pride ourselves on clinical excellence. You know, when, when I go in to see, you know, I have a wonderful Catholic um, cardiologist, Dr. Gus Ingeraldi, um, who is amazing, um, but at the end of the day, his Catholicism isn't you know, I appreciate that, but yeah. I want him to know what he's doing and that, <laughs> that he's a workaholic and yeah. spends all Sunday morning reading before he goes to mass makes me feel good. And we want our folks to know that too, that, that we do good psychotherapy. Not the Catholic piece is going to be shaped. That's just going to mean, you know, so very often. So I don't work with couples. I just work with teenagers, but, but like we don't end marriages. Like some, some therapists would do that, but we, we're not going to do, oh, you guys should get divorced. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to do everything we can to save the relationship. Um, you know, we're going it, to, it, it comes, I think, from most of us, and we all look at it differently. Dan looks at it differently than I do, um, and Candace and others, but, but, like who do we see as the as the human person 
and and as Catholics, you know, so much of that those Vatican II documents were written by John Paul II. You know that 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 not only are we we made in the image and likeness of God, but that God reveals man fully to Himself and who is the human person, mm-hmm. and that we are made for dignity and that that we are not made for licentiousness. And John Paul II had this great treatise on responsibility and freedom, and, and we see that today. Like it's not just all about my freedom. What, wherein does my responsibility to other people come in? And I think sometimes we challenge, and I think our clients like that about us, that, that we challenge them when, when I think some, some might be a little more permissive and allowing them to, to, you know, and it's not my place to allow people to do whatever, but, but to challenge them and say, hey, is this really making you happy? Yeah. You know, and, we, and as Catholics, we call it sin, but, but you know, it, it's not to label something as sin. Sin is sin because it, it's ultimately destructive to ourselves and others. So I think that's a, you know, that's a piece of it. So is it fair to say like you would bring in Catholic or religious principles that are certainly effective and lead to joy uh, that, that maybe a therapist in somewhere else wouldn't? Correct. You know, you're inter- sort of introducing religion into the therapy sessions. We, and we don't, we don't shove it down. Now, we all do it differently. We don't, and with teens, teens kind of are, a lot of them are, and we can see this in the numbers, are very skittish. And I've got to really disarm them when they come in because they just think, well, this guy's just about to shove mm-hmm. Jesus or Catholicism down my throat. And I don't lead with that at all. And I, I like using the language of science to come at the spiritual. And so I'll say even a word like, tell me about your spirituality. And they're like, oh, I'm not spiritual. And I'm like, oh, well, that's bull. And where I come from, that's a half a word. You know, you are, <laughs> we're all spiritual. How do you interface with life? Um, and then, and then, but but man, for a long time, about half my client base were parents bringing kids to me who didn't believe in God. And mm-hmm. to me, that was the easiest thing in the world, yeah. because it it's to to be able to to you. So often we focus, we get steak and peas, and we focus on the peas and not on the steak. Mm-hmm. And 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 as Catholics, we can get caught up in doing that too. You know, we've got the big rocks of our faith. You know, Eucharist. You know, um, Jesus is divinity and, and, and things along those lines. And then and we and we we hyper focus a lot of times on issues of sexual morality, which are important. But but they if we're not careful, folks define who we are by our stance on issues around sexual morality. When when that's 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 a part of who we are. To, but that outflows from a much bigger Eucharistic Mm-hmm. aspect of, of who we are. So can you prescribe the sacraments? Do you prescribe? Absolutely. The no question. And, yeah. and, and especially with kids who have like OCD or scrupulosity, which is a hyper focusing on one sense to a fault, um, which I struggled with as a kid. Um, like we can, with permission from the parents and the kid talk with the confessor and talk with priests. Like I have lots of conversations. Because they trust us, and yeah. so they refer a lot of folks to us, and so we'll, we will talk with them, but absolutely prescribe the sacrament, I mean, Eucharist and reconciliation, just for those who are Catholic, and not all our folks are Catholic, and, yeah. and right. we don't, we're not proselytizing, and yeah. we, don't, we don't convert, you know, that's not our, our role. Well, right, I am not a psychotherapist, but I, I play one at work, and, um, and <laughs> One of the things do. That, I bet you do. <laughs> one of the things I prescribe often uh, to people who come to me uh, that are that are really 
and need uh, spiritually is adoration. And um, it's something that's been a part of my life for a very long time. And, mm. and I find it to be very powerful. And um, is that something that, that you yeah. Have? yeah. And, and so I have been, I'm dying to give a talk on this at a conference one day on the, the understanding that Jesus was a brilliant psychologist. Let's put that out there. Understanding the psychology of why adoration is so powerful for young people and why I prescribe, especially for an ADHD kid who has a hard time focusing. If you just put them down, sitting down and in their head, they're they're just going to start fidgeting. But to be able to not just look at something, but but to look at someone mm. um, in that is under the appearance of bread, you know, in the monstrance, or whether it's in the tabernacle, eucharistically, that 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 does things to the brain and the soul ontologically, but psychologically, it it focuses. And it's healing. Oh, I'm a huge proponent of it. Awesome. I'm a huge proponent All right. of it. All right. Big problem for me, confession, and um, and for many adults. And I see these kids. I've been on the mission trips with STM, mm-hmm. and they love confession. And I don't understand uh, I don't understand that, really. But give me into the mind of the youth today, especially in Acadiana. Uh, these kids seem to run to confession. Do you, do you see that? Yeah, I do. And I, I will tell you, I think... Part of the reason for that is that that in some ways, and in many ways, we've got a long way to go in seminary formation with our priests, um, but in many ways, um, a lot of our priests have gotten some really good formation in that. So I think that's a huge piece of it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, some of the, a lot of these younger guys, not just the younger guys, but a lot of them are understanding that, man, when someone shows up, I mean, when I showed up for confession, I mean, I got a butt chewing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my experience when I went back to confession with Father Hampton was like, it was a party. I felt like I was the <laughs> prodigal son. And, and I think some of these priests, a lot of them are able to make, make folks feel like that. And, and, and it's de-shaming, and, and it's, uh, it's powerful. Um, I, I, I also think that, that the, a lot of what we see with the, the younger generations now is that, contrary to the opinion of some adults, they don't give themselves a pass on sin. Like, they know they've messed up. Like, they, they get it. And, and they feel like they need, I love that they feel, I need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And confession's a huge piece of it. And, and hopefully the repentance, not just the penance that's a sign. That, that, I think that's an area where we can do better in youth formation is helping young people understand how do you repent mm-hmm. um, after confession. All right. Give me the professional opinion on when is the appropriate time for a teenager to have a phone and knowing all that goes into what's, mm-hmm. what's about it. Yeah, Where is that and today? it's going to depend on the kids, it's going to depend on the family, you know, and the parent. And as someone who's raised three teenagers, it's going to depend upon the parent's ability, you know, what did you do with number one, what did you do with number two, and what are you doing with number three? And and I always, and parents are like, well, we did this with number one, and I, I use this story from Jimmy Johnson, who was a coach of the Cowboys, and this lineman was sleeping during one of his meetings, and he told him to get up, you're fired, get out. And he went up, the lineman went up to Jimmy Johnson, and he said, hey, what would you do if Troy Aikman was sleeping in the meeting? And he goes, oh, that's easy. He goes, I go up to him, and I go, hey, Troy, please wake up. <laughs> I love that. We don't treat everyone the same, you know? <laughs> and, and so... 
you know, it depends on That's the kid. In general, we want we want parents to wait as long as possible. Thirteen, um, you know, we you know wait till eight was a huge movement. Um, at eighth grade, see if we could wait till eighth grade. But you know, putting a flip phone in a kid's hands is different from putting an iPhone thirteen Ooh, in a kid's hands for sure. And um, but a very strong opinion. In fact, I'll be at Turlings High School uh, Thursday night talking a lot about that. How do we handle the technology? Um, a lot of it, though, when it comes to teenagers, is how do you reel it in when you start becoming aware of what the some real yeah. world dangers are. Yeah, so Ashley reminds me all the time that she got it as a eighth grade graduation present, and then yep. the next one you. got it like sixth grade. Who knows? The other one got it at birth or something. So yep. you know, it's just a downhill <laughs> slide. You know, it is. But well, uh, and there's no payphones anymore. Man. Well, I know and, 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 kids and, wouldn't know what that was, and uh, they don't. But to be able to, you know, mine mine's a seventh grader. He has a very stripped down version of nothing. Um, that is all about. You know, and so parents are like, oh, I'm not going to get them a phone, but they've got this iPad that does everything as the phone, but I'm, I'm going to hold off on the phone. Well, I'm right. not really sure what the difference yeah, is right. there, you know. So. Well, Roy, tell me um, how you are motivated. Who do you go to for therapy? You know, obviously yeah. somebody's got to keep you going. I Man, I love that question. And if I can't tell you how many times I'm trying to drill it into our interns, and I can't say it enough... But you would think I know some of your every you do, <laughs> and I think that one's got it. But like, what are you doing wanting to be a therapist, and you haven't even been in therapy? Yeah. Like, you don't know what it's like. And I have been in therapy for twenty years, not just because I want to be a good counselor, mainly because I've got lots of stuff to work through. Um, so I see a a guy who used to be director of the program down at Holy Cross College, a mentor of my colleague Dan Jurek, uh, Dr. Tim Dwyer. Um, and he's amazing. Dan Jurek was my counselor for, for, for about seven years. And then we became friends and colleagues. Um, and then I've seen another guy in town, Dr. Douglas DeMaye, who was also amazing. So I've had three really good, and I still see Father Hampton, you know, once every few months and, you know, we just, it's just a great, it's a great way to connect. But, um, I continue, folks are like, man, you're always speaking, you're always writing, you always seem like you have something to say. It's because it's because I do my inner work. You know, I, I do my inner work, and I don't over-spiritualize the inner work. And mm-hmm. um, I still go to, I do go to confession, but, um, you know, I, it, it, when, by the time the priest hears it, you know, I, I see my guy weekly. And look, yeah. it's expensive. I value it. Um I've, I really do value it. My, my wife values it because um, when I've taken breaks from it, I'm, I'm just not as good a person. All um, right, just a minute left on the show. Two questions, uh, uh, Roy. What does God see when he sees you? And, uh, and, and I guess the second question would be, what is God telling you today? I hope God sees David when he sees me. Um, just a struggling sinner. You know, David messed up big time and he repented big time. And, and that's me. Um, what I think what God is is telling me right now in my life is to continue to be patient and continue um, to do what's on my heart and, and to be who I am and not try to be someone else. And that's always a battle for me. 
Well, you're doing an awesome job at that. Thank yeah, you, I mean, brother. I just love, uh, I just love watching you from a distance. I wish you and I were closer. You know, I, I'm jealous Same. that you're eating lunch with Father Hampton. I'm jealous. <laughs> I, he and it's a always a good lunch. <laughs> All right, I got time for one more question. What What does heaven look like? Man, what does heaven look like? Um, it's all the people. I to me, heaven, heaven, heaven. My do- if my dog's not in heaven, I'm not sure I really want to oh. go. Um, and um, my mom. You've been listening to Cajun Catholics. Today's guest was Mr. Roy Pettifees. Uh He is a Cajun Catholic psychotherapist at at Pax Renewal. He's an award-winning author, and he's a, a great public speaker. And, and Roy, we can find you at RoyPettifees.com, right? That's right. Yep. Uh, and uh, look him up, and I'm sure you can reach him at Pax Renewal. And he's a busy guy, and uh, but I'm sure you can get on the agenda. And uh, you're a blessing <laughs> to our family, and I thank you for being here. And I love you, Roy. Thank you. Love you too, brother. All right, my friend. Thank you, man. All right. Uh, always ask you to engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.